The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. And we welcome you once again to Afternoons with Mike here on the Shepherd Radio Network. In the studio with me today, a young lady that I've had up here on many occasions. Jacqueline Lynn is an author. She is a publisher, and she helps people uh, write their books. And that's kind of the short but sweet, I think, definition of you. Welcome to my program. Thank you, Mike. It's so good to be back. Yeah, you've been back up here a couple of times and uh, we met through, of course, who else? Mark Goldstein and uh, the Christian Chamber. And you're very much involved in that. Yes, I am. And uh, it's beneficial, isn't it? Oh, the the connections, the the family. This is, that is a chamber of commerce people. Or these are business people and they want to grow their businesses, but they are Christians. And so it's different. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of businesses who might be run by Christians they maybe have never had an experience of working with a chamber, any kind of chamber, maybe even the local uh, chamber of commerce in their city. But uh, this one is obviously similar in the sense that there's connectivity. There is the ability for people to get to know other people in different business fields. But the neat thing about the Christian chamber is just that it's a Christian, Christian. chamber. We call it doing kingdom commerce. Yeah. And you know that. Yeah, yeah. right. It, it's just such a different concept. And for anyone that's listening out there today that runs a small business or maybe is a manager for one, maybe you don't own it, but maybe you manage it. And you would like to know how it is that so many other believers are in contact one with another and you might be surprised to find out if you're in the Orlando area, especially, that there is this thing called the Christian Chamber, and it's expanding. They're wanting to make it uh, more national with yes. different chapters in different cities. So it might be something that if you really like what you hear there, uh, you might even want to be involved and find out about opening up a chapter in your own city. Yeah, and and work that out. But that's that's how I met you, Jacqueline, and it's uh, it's really great. I know you're also working with my dear friend John Crossman. Yes, I am. And so you help with some of the writing that he has, some of his social media posting, and all of that. Uh, and his his program is just going gangbusters. I love his program. I love listening to it, and he has some of the most interesting guests. Yeah. And it's a concept, too, that's different than what is out there in radio, in Christian radio or secular radio, for that matter. It's a conversation, not just with people that feel or look at things even the way John does, but he mm -hmm. tackles every issue imaginable. Oh, he d he does some pretty sensitive stuff. He really does. And um, yeah, I, w I have listened to some of the shows and thought, Oh, is he really going there? Yes, he is. He, he just went there. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, well, and it worked. It worked. Yeah. yeah. He, he's really Of course, great. that's not to say that you don't have interesting guests. Well, thank you. I, oh, I've got you today. You do. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I mean, my goodness. Let's just get right to that point. Hey, you know, this uh, whole thing about writing is something that I believe 
our culture is very familiar with it. Uh, and yet, even with all of the tools that are out there today, I believe there are a lot of people that are probably pretty good writers and they don't know it. Would you agree? Oh, yes. Not only are they good writers that and they don't know it, uh, but they have important messages to share. Mm-hmm. And the one of the things that technology has done for us has made self-publishing easier than ever. And that is a double-edged sword because it is easier than ever. So if you have a good, strong message and a, a good, strong way of delivering it, it's easy to get it out there. And if your message is weak and if you're not, you know, if your quality of delivery is not so good, it's still easy to get it out there. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I talk a lot about to my my clients and even just people that that are interested in self-publishing is you you have to respect the need for quality in how you produce it just because it's easy to scribble out a book and upload a file to amazon and click publish and now you have a book on amazon doesn't mean that's how you ought to do it and there are ways to make it better if they are doing it, yes. if they just gain a little bit. And I want to talk about some of the things that we need to know, but I would I don't know that anyone has a percentage, but I am sure that there's a large percentage of people who feel like they have in them uh, a message, like you said, that could be a book. And yet, I don't know what the percentage is of people who feel that way that actually ever get around to writing a book. No, they do a lot of talking. They, and and I and I I don't mean that um, in a derisive way, but they do because they don't know where to start. Yeah, and it it, it there's a, there is a lot of research that you need to do. You need to understand the business of self publishing, and this is one of the things that I recommend to people who who have an interesting life story, but interesting maybe there's nobody famous involved there's no blood there's no sex there's no the the stuff that makes best-selling new york times best-selling type books but they still have a good story and maybe they have a small community to share it with Mm -hmm. maybe their family uh maybe friends and those people i encourage those people to get this written down create a small book with it so that your children and your grandchildren have it. And long after you're gone, it's here, it's preserved. Those memories aren't lost and forgotten. That story, that lesson, whatever it was that you need to share, right. write it down. Right. Even Now, be realistic in that you might only sell a few hundred copies of this book. Be realistic about what's going to happen with the book but please, please, please don't let it just disappear when you do. You know, and that is the thing that we've learned in losing some dear people in my life with death. Mm-hmm. Uh, that once, once they are gone, everything, all of their experiences, uh, they're either A, left to memory from what they've told us, or B, they may have written it down in some form somewhere, but often it's not a cohesive thought. And that's one of the things that I've enjoyed writing this article that I write for the Main Street Daily News in Gainesville, uh, is that at least a lot of my thoughts, a lot of my views, 
uh, up toward theology and maybe mm -hmm. even some anecdotes that I've learned along the way are captured there in a article form. Mm -hmm. And that's really great. That's going to be for future uh, memory and, and posterity in the future for my kids who are coming up behind and under us. They'll have that and yeah. they'll, they'll have that record. And yeah. I think that's really an important thing. Now, when I started doing this more regularly, I had written a blog. And, and the first question I have for you uh, is as we're kind of uh, approaching this, and then in the next segment, we're going to get right down into a, a couple of books that you have brought in with you here today. But the, the, you mentioned a blog. Are people still blogging anymore the way they did, let's say, uh, eight, seven, eight years ago? Oh, absolutely. It looks different because the, it, we're back again to technology changing. Mm -hmm. And so the blogs look slicker and sleeker and and they're built into larger websites. There are also a lot of other publishing platforms that you can publish articles that are essentially what we've been calling blogs for, for many years on. So yes, people are writing and publishing at a phenomenal rate. Now, what that means is there's a lot of competition for your audience, but yes, they are still doing it. And actually, blogging is a great way to get a book written. Mm -hmm. It really is because you've got the work already underway, if not completed, mm -hmm. uh, the, the uh, editing process. And th then there's this thing called the AP writing style mm -hmm. that I know that if you're going to be on or in digital newspapers or printed newspapers for that matter, uh, this is a kind of an accepted, if people want to know what that means, it does not mean you're working for AP, Associated Press. It does not mean that. But there is kind of a motif or a style, uh, kind of a, a template that you follow. And it has to do with things like punctuation and how you express things with uh, with punctuation. So it's a whole bunch of guidelines Thanks. involved in that. And I, I know that affected me. I had to change a lot what I had taught, been taught when I was in high school Back when Moses was around, you know, back at that time, uh, a lot of the things have changed from a standpoint of grammar handling and the way we speak and the way we write. And, and, but a lot of what the AP style, and then there's also the Chicago Manual of Style, which is more for books, where AP is more for articles, but it's a guide to keep you consistent so that in one paragraph, you don't spell out numbers, and then in the next paragraph you use numerals. Those kind of things are very mm -hmm, distracting right. to the reader. And you, you, you want everything that you publish to be as reader-friendly as possible. So how do people learn about all these things? I, I didn't even know there was, let's say, something for books separate from articles. I didn't even know that, so that's great news. Yeah. One of the wonderful resources that I have is an organization called Word Weavers, which is a Christian writers critique group. And they put on an annual Florida Christian Writers Conference, which uh, is in the fall every year in October in um, at Lake Yale mm -hmm. uh, Baptist. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Retreat. We've had the, them on our, my program before. Yeah, they're great people up there. And it's a uh, four full days of all kinds of information 
about writing and publishing from blogs to articles to books to fiction to nonfiction to how to get an agent to how to find a publisher to how to publish yourself, social media marketing. It They just cover everything. Mm-hmm. It's an absolutely awesome conference. One of the uh, first guests that I had on my program back in 2019, and he is uh, still an occasional visit to this uh, show, is uh, Dan Walsh from the uh, Daytona Beach area. Dan was a writer, always wanted to be, he was a pastor for years, but he wanted to write and he kind of started this almost like a part-time thing or a hobby type of a passion and he went for it. Well, needless to say, he found out that it was very well received. He wrote novels. Not only did he write novels, he wrote what became best-selling and you know, winning all sorts of awards from the Christian organizations that are out there that have to do with writers groups and you know, publishers and things like that. And now one of his books is becoming, uh, it's going to be a screenplay for a movie produced by a top Hollywood producer. That's awesome. And so all of this began with a thought and a desire to write. Which is a lesson for all of us. If you, you know, it might not work. Well, it's not going to work for everybody like that. I mean, that that's the kind of thing. Don't, don't think I'm going to tell my story and, and become a best-selling author and a millionaire and, and all of, that's not it. But if you have this in you, follow this this tickle. I mean, pray about it. Is God talking to you on this? I maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you're feeling this, then do some research, explore it, think it through thoroughly. Think about what do you want to say and who do you want to say it to, and then start exploring what formats you Mm -hmm. can do it in. And you have to get practical. One of the things that I advise people if they're going to write a book is they need to treat it like a little independent business. Do a business plan for it. And do a lot of praying as you do this, but think about, you know, how big is this book? Who is the audience? Who's who's really going to read it? Uh, And a tip here is the answer, everybody, wrong answer. Um, you will have a narrow. <laughs> it's going to be a niche. In there. Yeah, you you know it's if 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 you're thinking everybody's going to read your book, you don't have it well enough defined yet. Yeah. Um, but go through this. Think about what your resources are because there are expenses involved. Yeah. Even if you go the traditional publishing route, there are expenses involved. So again, don't don't let this thought of I have a message. I, I want somebody to hear my story. I went through something that was really challenging and I came out better on the other side of it. And I want to tell people how I did this so they can do it too. Now, the motivation you gave earlier about leaving something for your children, uh, is that, do you feel that in itself is enough of a motivation to to make some people take those steps? Absolutely. I think that, there are parents who have some incredible stories to tell. And especially, you know, we've, we've talked about this. My father is 94 years old. He remembers a time when not having running water and flush toilets in houses was just the norm. It mm-hmm. was no big deal where I go, ew. And, you know, we, 
what I actually, my father emails and I save his emails mm-hmm. and so that they can be shared with his grandchildren and his great grandchildren. And, um, I, so yeah, I think, I think that there is definitely something there for the older generation to leave for the younger generation. Another story is I have, uh, my daughter-in-law and four grandchildren are currently hiking the Appalachian Trail. We're going to do a book when they get back. Now, will that book be a bestseller? I actually think it has some good market value because so, uh, among people who want to hike the trail. But more, more important is it's a way for us to bind up the experience for the kids so that when they grow up and have their own kids, they can hand them this book and say, you know, see what I did. My, mm-hmm. my youngest granddaughter's nine. She can say, see what I did when I was nine? I hiked a 2,200-mile trail from Florida to Maine. Right. You know, when I think about the importance of chronicling things in your mm-hmm. life, like what you're talking about, obviously my mind goes to Esther and the story about when the, uh, the king couldn't sleep and he gets up and he reads the chronicles, you know, the writings. Mm -hmm. That's basically what he was looking back on. It's almost like a diary. And he was looking back on what had happened. And there he comes across, you know, a story that ended up being a pivotal story in the book of Esther. And had he not, had it not been written down, you know, the obvious implication is that wouldn't have come up. That wouldn't have been known. And the whole direction of Esther and her life and the the Jewish people would have been different. Mm-hmm. So it's significant. We can think, I think most people get bogged down in thinking, it's not important, right? It's only important to me or, but it's what I'm hearing you say, it's very important for others. And sometimes um, we just don't realize the extent of how much of people coming up underneath us, especially our family, would appreciate it. Exactly. And the other thing is too, when you're, when you're telling them your stories, that not only this is what happened, but why did you make the choices you made? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the human nature, then the human side. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, you may know that, you know, the grandchildren may know that, you know, grandfather, uh, went to this school or, or chose this profession, but why? Why? What was driving it? Yeah. What were the circumstances that he was facing or she was facing in the, in that moment that made the difference? Yes. That's a, that's a compelling story and And, it can be very interesting. And there's, there's the moral lessons. There's the, the, how to make your own, you know, again, this person went through this exercise to make this life choice That is something I can learn from when I make my life choices. Very good. Jacqueline Lynn is my guest. We'll be back with her in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. Here in the studio with me is Jacqueline Lynn, and uh, I have met uh, Jacqueline, oh my goodness, it's been a couple of years ago now, and she was on my program back in the days when we were just beginning our Orlando studios here, and she is a publisher. She published the book that I believe that Mark uh, Goldstein wrote. And I know you've been involved in several of the uh, Orlando, your friends in the chambers, my friends as well in the chamber. They've written books and they've yes. done very well. Mm-hmm. It's really wonderful to see how well some of these books, I think of uh, Crystal Parker's book. 
Yeah. And it's doing super. And the for business people, understand that the the book itself is a very, very strong marketing tool for your business. And that's one of the things that's happening with, with a lot of my business clients mm-hmm. is that the book establishes their authority and and helps them market their business, even though the actual book sales may not run, you know, in the hundreds of thousands. But the fact that the book is out there gives them a level of credibility and authority that they didn't have. I was just going to ask that very question. Is there a sense, because it seems to me like there is, Mm -hmm. almost a wow factor, or as you said, a credibility, that being an author and having a book that is actually printed on paper Mm -hmm. and bound and beautiful with a cover and all of that, uh, there's something about that that is still uh, kind of a magnificent thing. And a lot of people look at that and go, wow, you wrote a book? Book? Yes. You actually wrote a book? And you can use your book as a business card, which gives, you know, gives you all that credibility. And, and another, another interesting thing for, again, for businesses is to use books as general marketing tools. You write us, and you can write a small book about this on how to use your product mm-hmm. and you give it away to people. It's not much more expensive than a color brochure and it's powerful because people keep books. Now, you mentioned there is the level of cost that has to be considered. Yes. And that's a reality that is out there for everything we ever do in life. But one thing that you offer, and this is offered free on your website, is kind of like an introductory video to this whole thing, right? Right. I have, if my website is createteachinspire.com. And on the homepage is a link to sign up to a free video course on how to make self-publishing work for you. And I walk through the basics of how to, how to decide if you've got a book. And if you do, then how to organize it, how to plan the project. Uh, as I said earlier, I, I tell people, take your book and, and think of it like a small business mm-hmm. and do a business plan for it. And I explain what needs to go in that business plan and, yeah, you can subscribe to free, uh, to free. You can sc- subscribe uh, to that series. It's a it's a four email series, and mm-hmm. it, and there's no charge for it. And, and there is actually a free lunch involved. There in actually it. is <laughs> a free <laughs> a free thing that you can avail yourself of and learn. It's one of those uh, learning tools, growing tools that uh, will not cost you. And if you're interested in finding out about this, that's a good starting place. So uh, we're here talking about this book that you've brought in with you called The Simple Facts About Self-Publishing. Now, just a quick introduction to this. Going back to my friend Dan Walsh, who was a writer f- uh, and published, is a writer, and but he for a long time published with a major publishing company. So mm-hmm. he had the whole big, when we think of the historical, uh, the classical image of what a, a book was and how a book came about, he was out with a major label, if you mm-hmm. will, like yeah. a, a musician. It would be like not a, an, an indie project, but a major label. Well, he was that. And then along the way, th- life was changing. Thank you, Amazon. <laughs> uh, everything starts changing in the publishing world, and it, it becomes a, a different. Now, there still are publishers out there. I had a very nice chat with a young lady last week uh, named Erica Wiggenhorn, who is a writer from Moody. 
So there are there are still publishers that publish books, but a lot, I mean a lot of what happens today is done in the name of self-publishing. Yes, and actually these the big traditional publishers uh, will approach people who have self-published and done well and that's an uh, that's a door opener to get into the big traditional publishers because it's proof that you can deliver for them because it is harder than ever to get a traditional publisher to take the work of someone who is not already a celebrity now you know that's okay that you said the magic word right there the celebrity mm-hmm. meaning that there are there's something known about you your name is out there and that gives obviously a platform that other mm-hmm. people may not have well, they wouldn't have. Uh, and yet at the same time, that does not necessarily mean that what you have is not better than what the celebrity would offer. Exactly. And I have read some books, and I think if you if you read books from a critical perspective, um, I've read books by traditional publishers, and I think this is, you know, there's nothing here. There's no meat. It, it's, it's just not very good, but it's got a big name on it. Mm-hmm. And so they'll publish it because they think it'll sell. Uh, politicians are, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but mm-hmm. right. you know, that happens a lot with, with their books. Um, but you can do your own and get it out there. And there is absolutely no reason why, it, why an independent self-publisher, an individual cannot produce the same quality that these big traditional publishers do and and do the same kind of things because traditional publishers they don't market the books anymore they say to the authors it's up to you and it can actually be more challenging to market a traditionally published book than to market your own because you're constricted somewhat by their policies. Right. And I was going to say their policies may also be restricting in other areas as well that you really don't want your work to be that kind of boxed in. Exactly. So there are many reasons to consider this, especially, I mean, it, it would be great. Wouldn't it be great to have been a writer and someone comes along who works for uh, oh my goodness! I don't know. So you you name a major label that's out Simon there. Simon and Schuster. Simon and Schuster, and they come and they go. Hey, I, I think I think I saw your article, and it needs to be a book, and we're going to give you a signing bonus of a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, that's the kind of image that a lot mm. of people have. And and trust me, that does not happen. That does not happen anymore. I, and actually, I have ghostwritten a book, uh, a few for Simon and Schuster, and the client that I did it for. He had to agree to buy 50,000 copies of the <laughs> there book. There you go. So there's so, a little hook in there. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah. So you, but he used it to promote his business. It was a worthwhile investment for him. And, and he still had to pay me a lot of I mean, it, it, it worked for everybody. But yeah. the, the point is, is, is this, it looks a lot more glamorous than it is if you, uh, on the traditional publishing side. The, in, in self-publishing, there's actually two paths to that. There is total self-publishing where you act as your own publisher and you manage the whole project and you do have to be willing to put a lot of study time into this to learn how it works. There's also what's called hybrid publishing, which are publishers that function like a traditional publisher, but you pay them for all of the work that they do. Mm -hmm. And 
Kind of a pay-as-you-go thing. Yeah, and well, and I refer to it, they, it's it's called hybrid. I, I refer to it as pay-to-publish. And and there is it's a valid model for people who don't want to take the time, don't have no interest in learning how to design and produce a book and mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. There's value in this, but there's also a lot of scam artists out there. And that actually was what drove me to write The Simple Facts About Self-Publishing because I was watching my friends get ripped off. Mm-hmm. They were paying hybrid publishers fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to produce books that had the potential of selling 100 copies. Wow. And that's an investment. That's throwing money away right there. Right. And you know, if if you can justify it, if you say, well, I want to do this anyway, and I can afford it, and it's not taking food off the table, then that's fine. Go for it. Mm-hmm. But what I the reason I wrote The Simple Facts About Self-Publishing is so that people would understand how this works, and they can make an informed decision on how much money do I really want to spend? Who do I want to spend it with? How do I evaluate one of these companies to see how they're going to operate for me? Mm-hmm. And and then if I look at that and say, mm, I think I can do it myself or I can do it myself if I hire maybe a graphic artist to do the cover, I can do everything else myself. You know, then the book explains how to get that done, what your resources are. It's not a... Um, a step-by-step how-to, it's an explanation of how the industry works. Right. And there's a lot to learn about that because, again, going back to this thing called Amazon, which it really did change Absolutely. Uh, book publishing in general. I think it changed the the whole book selling business. There used to be, you know, a big convention for booksellers and you had to mm-hmm. have a, a brick and mortar store basically to be a bookstore and now you you've got uh, online shopping mm-hmm. and the whole Amazon world and a lot of it is digital and the other element of that is print on demand publishing yeah because that you know when Amazon launched we didn't have print on demand technology and and again self publishing 20 years ago meant that you had to uh, get your books from an offset printer and you had to buy 5,000, 10,000 copies of your books. And for most people that they ended up in the garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or, or giving away to or, people, like you said, just here, please yeah. take but, a copy. <laughs> but now, now when, with so many of the books that are on Amazon, you go on Amazon, you click on buy that book. And, and the simple facts about self-publishing is one of these. When, if you go on Amazon and buy that book, when you click buy, that book doesn't exist in paper until you click buy. And then the Amazon system says, okay, print this book, wrap it up, stick a label on it and send it to that person. And you will have it in two days. Wow. Isn't that awesome? That is amazing. So you can, and so if you, for example, you, you do a memoir for yourself and your family, you can buy 10 copies, 15 copies and that's all you have to buy, but they are in paper in your hands. And they now have even hardcover print on demand. Takes a little bit longer to get it, but it, it's they have hardcover print on demand. Well, that's how I've seen some friends who 
maybe never intended on something being widely distributed, but they wanted their family, their children, maybe only two or three copies, and they have this beautifully bound book, and it Mm -hmm. is just really an original thing that was written for them, and yet here it is, like you said, bound with a full cover and nice pages and just Mm -hmm. the pro look and everything. Yeah, yeah. And And does that cost a gazillion dollars to do that? No. With again, if if you're on Amazon with their print on demand service, you it costs you nothing to upload your files to Amazon. There are some costs in creating those files, um, and you know there's ISBN numbers, it, it, technical things. There's you're going to want to pay an editor to do your book, and just because your cousin has an English degree does not mean that you should. <laughs> they, they may not be the, that trustworthy. Yeah. yeah. You know, you want somebody who knows how to edit books, who, as we talked about the AP style, the Chicago manual of style, who understands these styles and can make sure your manuscript is consistent. You do want it well designed so that when the readers look at the page, their eyes don't cross. I mean, you, you want things like this and these things can cost you a few hundred to a few thousand dollars to get done. But once you upload it to Amazon, the on, your only cost at that point is the cost of the printing the book mm-hmm. and your average book, uh, soft cover book, paper, bu- paperback of, you know, 200 to 250 pages is going to cost you about three fifty to four dollars a copy, your author cost, and you don't have to buy a and you can of buy those. one. That is amazing. So that tells you what kind of technology they are employing. It is awesome. And not only do they have the ability to make a one-off, and and sell it and make it look good, but they have the ability to do that, like you said, inside two days. Exactly, and. They have they you can update those files. So let's say you put that book, and I'm telling you, I I I have laughed for my entire writing career that the quickest way to find a typo is to hit publish. Yeah. And so you publish the book, yeah, and right. and somebody says, oh, you know, there's a typo here. You just upload a new file, bang, fixed. So that editing is now done, and of course, it won't help that book that was uh, sent out yesterday, but books that are purchased from then on are going to have that correction made. Exactly. That's kind of nice. It is. It is just, the technology is so exciting. And, and I know for somebody who has been watching this for, because I have been self-publishing for uh, at least 10 years and it it's like, they can't, can't come up with anything else. And oh my gosh, now they've done it. Mm-hmm. They've come up with something else. Yeah. And, and so, they keep doing that. And they keep doing it. And now you're, a, like you said, a ghostwriter yourself. So that means you've written books mm-hmm. uh, along with other people. And, you know, you see this often with, uh, you mentioned celebrities. So you'll have somebody that's well-known. Perhaps they're a politician. Perhaps they're like in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And they'll come out with a book. And then you look at the book and it has their name on it. But then it has with Mm-hmm. another person's name on it, who actually wrote the book. Right. And you find out often that that person who was the ghostwriter or the 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 real... The collaborator the sometimes collaborator, we call yeah, them. Yeah, right. Yeah. But they're the ones that actually put everything down. And so often they've extracted the verbiage, the chapters, 
from basically interviews Mm -hmm. where they've recorded. That's how, and that's how I do it. Um, And most of the books that I've ghostwritten do not have my name on them at all. And they're for people in the business arena. And it's important to them to not share any of the credit. These people have astounding egos. And, but they have great stories to tell. And they're a lot of fun to work with. And what we do is we sit down and figure out what is your message? How are we going to do it? Then I, I come up with an outline for the book and we come back and we interview and then I write the book and they, they approve it. Uh, my mind instantly goes to, so when their friends come up and go, wow, it's a great book. I didn't know you could write like that. What do they say then? It depends. Most of them will just say, thank you. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. some of the, they're, they're actually, uh, also, most of the ones that I have worked with give me a lot of credit and they recommend me and oh, that's yeah. a, and it keeps me busy because they don't, they, you know, one-on-one, they don't mind sharing the credit. It's just when the, with the book out there, they want just their name on it. Uh, I see the benefit to it, but it just still strikes me as funny. I'm with Jacqueline Lynn, publisher, author. She's an article writer, a book writer. She has, I will find out how many books she's written in a minute. We'll be back with her in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. Such a fine talk today with Jacqueline Lynn. Uh, This uh, whole book that she's written is going to be a big help to you if you'd like to know a little bit about what your first steps would look like as a writer, as an author. Maybe you've got, like what Jacqueline said earlier, uh, something in your heart that is a story. Or minimally, it's parts of your life, parts of your actions, parts of your decisions about business or whatever that you would like to have documented and really serve those that are coming up after you, be they your family or other employees in your business. It's really something that you should give some deep thought about, about writing all of those things down and publishing them as a book. Like Jacqueline said, it is a good way to market. You can give these out as a really nice business card. And that's an idea. Now, the book you've written, Jacqueline, is called The Simple Facts About Self-Publishing, What Indie Publishers Need to Know to Produce a Great Book. Now, there are, like you said in segment one, there are a lot of books out there that are not great books. Exactly. And I'll guarantee you that on Amazon, still making money today are those kind of books. They're not well-written they're, well, there. Uh, the, the thing is, is the those books actually most of them are not making money, um, and if you look at uh, independently published books, and if you read the reviews, the things that people pick on most often are that you know this book was full of typos, it was poorly written, um, and and reviewers are are not shy about leaving one star reviews. So so if you had a book like that, that is full of one-star reviews and critical comments, why would Amazon continue to have it up available? Because that's how, that's their business model. They'll, you can pretty much put anything on Amazon and Amazon will leave it up there forever. Forever. Yeah. There, I mean, you know, there are, I wouldn't even begin to know tens of millions of books on Amazon and some of them, some of them are literally just five or 10 pages long there, mm-hmm. you, you know, because you can do that. That's how yeah. the platform works. They don't care. So it's almost like buying something that you wish you hadn't bought 
And there's no return policy. <laughs> Actually, Amazon does have a pretty good oh, return. Oh, they do. You, yes. So yeah. I, that's I, you I buy, just if don't you know buy how a, they do if it. you turn out if you buy a book and it turns out to be junk, you can tell Amazon you want to return it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And yet they keep that out there, and mm-hmm. and so they're absorbing all the cost of all the shipping and everything. Then, or it's been paid for. I don't know how that works, but yeah. my goodness, there's a lot there uh, to know. But indie publishers can really get an education just with this one book. This book is is an overview to the industry. It has a lot of resources in it for you know telling you to learn more about this. Go here. I'm not going to walk you through the steps of uploading a book to Amazon because by the time you buy and read this book, they will be different than they were when I wrote the book. Mm-hmm, right. So technology I, changes it, it, overnight. So yeah. it's it is an under a broad understanding of the industry and what you have to do to 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 put together a good quality book and why it needs to be good quality. Mm-hmm. And that is not going to be known until you have a good editor that can actually look at that and offer suggestions. Uh, you know, I, I'm so privileged to work with my good friend J.C. Derrick at Main Street Daily News. And in my writing, when I publish something, there are weeks that go by and my article will just fly in and it will go with no edits at all. Mm-hmm. And those are good weeks. Uh, and then I have other weeks like this last week where there were some excellent, it wasn't that what I had done was horrible, but it was a little clunky in a transition. Mm-hmm. And he made a suggestion and added a few little tweaks to it that made it read much better. Oh, and there have been times in my career when I was really struggling with something. And and I finally said, I, you know, I'm going to turn it over to the editor like it is because I can't. I, I know it's not good, but I cannot fix it. Mm-hmm. And usually within a couple of minutes, an editor, fresh set of eyes, different mindset says, oh, do this. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's perfect. It sounds so much better. Editors are are so worth their weight in gold. Now, you mentioned something that I I know is true. I don't know what this is. I can edit my kids' work. Mm-hmm. But you I, can't edit your I, own. I can't edit my own. Now, what's the reason for that? You know, you know what you're too close to it. You, you can't proofread proofread your own either because you know what you meant to say, <laughs> and your you, brain hides you, those mistakes. Yes, yes. I have. I have. Uh, when, with fresh eyes, uh, a week after I wrote something and and uh, read back what I wrote, and even though I had proofread it three or four times. Mm-hmm. I'll see something so glaring and I'm going, what in the world was I thinking? The other, another technique is read it out loud. And it, one of my ghostwriting clients, this is how we go through his manuscript. He reads it out loud to me. And th- there's a couple of things. First of all, he'll make corrections as he go, you know, I don't like this, change that. But the other thing is I'm listening to him. If he's stumbling mm-hmm. over the sentence then I need to go back and look at that sentence. Now I realize I'm, you know, writing for a reader, not a speaker. Um, and there's a difference in how you write for that. But if if he's stumbling too much, then I need to look at that sentence and think maybe it's not as clear as, as I thought it was when I wrote it. Wow. So, yeah, so read, read your work out loud. Yeah, I do. I read it to my wife. And I find my errors a lot of times that way, but still... 
It is great to have, uh, like you said, another fresh set of eyes. And that's what our editors do uh, for my work before they actually hit the newspaper. And so that's really great. And it is, you know, some of the biggest books, I found typos in major organizations, publications. I've read something. I'm going, oops, that one made it through. (laughs) (laughs) What happened there? Yeah. Uh, Either a a misspelled word or a wrong grammar usage. I mean, that happens and it just, oh. I ghost wrote a book on, on real estate years ago and made a math error. And that book went through several editors and lawyers. And no one caught it. Nobody caught it. A year after it was on the market, a reader sent in an email and said, this I don't think this is how the formula would really work. And I'm like, oh, man, I multiplied by 12 twice instead of once. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's not right. It's kind of embarrassing, but life is uh, full of those little mishaps Mm -hmm. like that. So that happens. You've also written a second. uh, It was uh, it it is a digital book, an e-book, and it's called How to Avoid Being Ripped Off by a Publisher. And then the subtitle is Ask These Important Questions Before You Pay to Publish Your Book. Well, Share about that. Well, we had talked, you know, we talked about hybrid publishers. Yeah. And, and hybrid publishers can be dangerous financially. And I've, as I said, I've known several people who, who have been ripped off by them. And a couple of years ago, a friend came to me and she was so excited because a publisher had said, I want to publish your book. She hadn't even started it yet. And, you know, she's like, what do I do? And, and I said, how much are they going to charge you? And there was this dead silence. And she said, we didn't say anything about charging me. And I said, you, you need to ask this question. And it turned out that um, they weren't going to actually charge her, but they, the, their contract involved her buying 5,000 copies. And that's a way to charge. That's a way to charge. <laughs> and, and, oh and, you know, goodness. and I said to her, what are you going to do with those books? And um, so she had some, some information at that point to go back to them and say, you know, let's, you know, we need to talk about what this arrangement really is going to be about. And, and that's how the, the hybrid publishers market that, you know, you're so excited about getting your book out there. And then there's the, the cost kind of slide in under the door, so to speak. So I started thinking, then uh, some other authors that I know that have used hybrid publishers, the publishers have overpriced their books. And it's part of the contract. The publisher sets the price. And, but their books are too expensive. And, and these authors have said to me, you know, my book would sell for $12.99, but they've got it at $18.99. And in the genre, um, you know, the book isn't worth $18.99. And but the contract, I can't lower the price. The contract won't let me. Wow. So uh, I started thinking, what are other questions? And I'm going to do a little blog on this. We talked about blogging. And I thought, I'm going to come up with the five most important questions. Uh, well, then that turned into the 10. And then I had 20. And there's 40 some odd questions in that little ebook. And I thought, okay, this is way too much to just put it just as a blog on my website. So I'm going to do an affordable ebook on Amazon so that it, you know, you can download it on Amazon and, and it's 45, 47, close to 50 questions to ask uh, a hybrid publisher. And I think one of the most important ones is let me see your, 
the the standard contract. Yeah, standard before, contract. Before we go too deep into the negotiations, show me the standard contract. Yeah, surely you would think that people wouldn't be signing these things without reading them or having an attorney read them. They do it all the time. because And again, it's such an emotional thing, your book. They want to get your book out there. They're going to make it pretty. Yeah. Um, they're going to get it into bookstores. Uh-uh. Um, that's really, that's a hard thing to do. And we could do a whole segment on how hard it is to get books into bookstores just because it's available for a bookstore mm. doesn't mean it will, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. you've got to ask these questions. You know, I was, uh, I was thinking when my kids cut a CD back in, uh, oh, nine, uh, oh, eight, I think mm-hmm. it was, um, they cut a CD and I thought, It'd be easy, you know, bookstores who sold back then Christian music, uh, I found out that they didn't really want to deal with it, even though it was a local, a very good band, uh, Mm -hmm. one that had won a national award. And yet, because it wasn't in this little thin margin of people that they use, Mm -hmm. and it's all national distributors and things that they would often... And not sell them. They would. They didn't even want to run them on consignment. Yeah, yeah. Well, their 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 operation is not set up to handle um, a lot of different sources. So they want one distributor or two distributors that they get mm-hmm. everything from. So you've got to get your stuff into those distributors, and you know there are ways for independent authors to get their books into the local bookstores. But it does take a lot of work and it takes strategy and it takes understanding. It also takes having a high quality book. If you go in there with a messy, clumsily, sloppily prepared book with typos and a, and a poor cover, mm-hmm. it's, you're, you're not, they're not going to take the book. You're, there's nothing you can do that's going to get them to take the book. Do you think it's helpful for people to, when they write something, um, maybe before they hire somebody like you or another a person that's going to be an editor, is it helpful or not to have maybe friends take a look at that and read it and give them an evaluation? Oh, absolutely. In the book writing world, we call those beta readers. And they're not professionals. They're people who would read the kind of book you wrote. They're, they're people who, who have been reading a lot of these books. So they know the market. They know what's good. They know how they react to it. And you get those people to read your book. And again, you don't want them to necessarily be editing or proofreading or that kind of thing. You want them to just say, hey, if you bought this book, what would you think about it? Mm-hmm. And you've and now you really have to get them to be honest with you. Um, and it's and it's hard because they're not going to want to hurt your feelings. So you have to tell them I've, I've got on my Kevlar suit. You can you can. <laughs> you know, can be easily offended. Right. You got to tell me the truth because I don't want to get out there and embarrass myself in front of the whole world. You know, I want to embarrass myself in front of a friend I trust, but yeah, they call those beta readers and you can Google the term beta reader on, and to get a little bit more about how it works, but absolutely giving your manuscript to friends who will give you honest input. That means not your mom because mom will not be honest. (laughs) right and uh, you you definitely need to get another editor than yourself don't trust your own self lesson learned from mike here all right jacqueline lynn thank you so much for being with me today on it's the been program so much fun give us your website it's createteachinspire.com 
And again, you can go get the uh, free video course on uh, how to make self-publishing work for you. And if uh, at createteachinspire.com slash resources is a list of all of the publishing resources that I use Mm -hmm. with links to how to get to them. Sounds great. Thank you for spending this time with me here, Jacqueline. And it's always great to see you. Can't wait to read uh, some of the stuff that you've written lately. It's going to be great. And friends, thank you for joining us as well. We'll see you next time right here on The Shepherd on Afternoons with Mike.